the idea of uh, the influence of the arts as something that makes us more human, that allows us to communicate better, that allows us to learn, all of those things is critical. Welcome to Arts Engines. I am your host, Aaron Dworkin. And today I am so excited that we have with us Bob Lynch, President and CEO of Americans for the Arts. Welcome to Arts Engines, Bob. It's great to be here. Thanks so much, Aaron, for inviting me. All right. So uh, I always tell our audience, they can kind of, you know, look up our guests online, read all about their bios. We kind of don't want to go through all of that here, but really delve into the meat of kind of all of the work that you do and the, and the impact that you have. Um, one of the things is that, you know, in many ways, I really view you, I think many people view you as America's advocate for the arts. <laughs> um, and so can you kind of just share overarching kind of what does that you know mean? I know there's a lot of artists I talk to and they're like, oh, and I'm like advocacy for the arts, and they don't necessarily know exactly what I'm talking about and why it's important. Sure. So um, Americans for the Arts has actually uh, two thrusts, and in fact, we are two different organizations, the result of soldiers. So one organization is called Americans for the Arts. It's a 501c3 uh, tax-exempt organization, <clears throat> and uh, we do all of the things like professional development and um, training and research and advocacy to the extent that the law allows. But we are also the Americans for the Arts Action Fund. Legally, that's a 501c4 organization with a connected PAC, political And that organization is um, uh, the other half of our work, which is advocacy and uh, lobbying. And uh, the 501c4 status allows us to do uh, basically spend all of the time of the several staff people who are in that organization. And so what Americans for the Arts does on those two fronts, the first, our longtime mission, uh, is to be the national organization for all of the uh, local arts agencies, with all of the state arts agencies being members as well. And they are the state and local funding mechanisms for the arts with public money out there across. We train them. We give them the tools that they need in order to uh, uh, do their jobs at the local level in cities all across the country. And that's a, a, the core of our work. However, we were founded 60 years ago. And 60 years ago, our mandate was, among other things, to advocate for the creation of the National Endowment for the Arts. Uh, so we led that effort, helped create the National Endowment for the Arts, then helped create all the state arts agencies. And we had already been working on the local arts agencies, but there were only a couple of hundred, and today there's 5,000. So the advocacy efforts are uh, federal largely, but also state working with 50 state arts advocacy organizations and working to make sure that there's public and private money flowing to the arts uh, in our country. So those are the two thrusts of our work. Awesome. And so that's an incredible kind of scope and breadth that, that you have to deal with. Uh, on, on one kind of specifically on the advocacy side, when, you know, in general normal times, people are often like, well, you're advocating for the arts. What about, you know, um, uh, affordable housing? What about healthcare? Uh, what about all of these other things uh, in society that are also needs? 
how do you kind of balance that argument for the arts? And now given kind of this current pandemic crisis, how do how would you, if you will, make that advocacy? How do you share with people how we can better speak about this work that's so important to us? Sure. Well, uh, first of all, I, I put advocating for art and culture and the humanities uh, at the top of the list, not at the bottom of the list, at the top of the list for a variety of reasons. One, it is uh, uh, basically the, the aspect of, um, of our, our, our country, our society, that brings meaning to the people. What are you working for? What are you What are you trying to survive for? And um, the idea of uh, the influence of the arts as something that makes us more human, that allows us to communicate better, that allows us to learn—all of those things—is critical. Um, and that that's just the inherent value of the arts. But what is important to understand are two other things. One, the uh, the arts are not. A, a sidebar in our society. Our federal government uh, pegs them as a central uh, $877 billion uh, part of our economy. $877 billion. It's bigger than tourism itself. And that means jobs, bigger than tourism. And that's from our federal government, the uh, uh, Bureau of Economic Analysis out of the Department of Commerce. Uh, it means jobs directly. Uh, it means economic impact directly. It means economic impact and jobs indirectly because uh, every every arts entity, and you know this so well from your own work, somebody comes to your uh, performance, they're spending, the audiences are spending additional money on uh, parking and on food, restaurants or babysitting or, or staying overnight. So this economic footprint of the arts is is critical and a really big reason why they go to the top of the list. And then the third thing is what I call, I've been calling it for 40 years, arts and. Uh, it's the value of the arts and education and health and healing and homelessness and transportation and every aspect of society. You will look and see artists and arts organizations working hand in hand to, to help improve whatever the issue uh, is. Uh, and, and we have examples all across the country. Uh, Americans for the Arts has a, has a tool called the Social Impact Indicator. It's on our website. And if you go on it, it's a pinwheel, colorful pinwheel, and it has the arts in the center and then all the issues that I just men mentioned, some 30 of them. You click on an issue and you see the rich tapestry of um, things that are happening uh, um, with arts uh, helping with that particular issue, data, examples, um, some of my own board members, uh, you know Vijay Gupta uh, out there uh, uh, from your violin work, the, the first violin LA Philharmonic. Well, he's, he's just stepped down from that after getting a MacArthur. He stepped down from that to devote full time to his real passion, which is work, um, Street Symphony it's called, uh, with uh, art, uh, music, and the homeless. And so um, I put those things together and I say that the arts are a central part of the solution of America's problems and not to be marginalized, but be, to be heralded. Absolutely. And when we think now about artists who are out there, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, there are so many industries that are being hit incredibly hard because of the pandemic and because of stay at home orders. 
Um, and when we think about individual artists, I think a lot of people maybe outside of the art sphere don't realize that a lot of artists are gig artists or uh, perform in such a way that it cannot be replicated or really done remotely or translate that way and of course have had massive economic impact. Um, could you just kind of talk a little about what, what do you see out there in terms of the impact that uh, the current crisis is causing amongst artists and what are the, the biggest things that are being done and, and, what are, and what are you guys able to do? Well, um, one of the things that we're doing as, as uh, we prepare, we, we just prepared and worked on advocacy for the, uh, the care package uh, for uh, the crisis, and it has benefits in it for both organizations and individuals. Um, one of the big ones is allowing individuals to be eligible for um, some, some, of the, some of the different kinds of uh, funds that they were not eligible for uh, before. Because in fact, the individuals are small businesses, they should have access to small business benefits and so on. Um, but in preparing, uh, uh, preparing for that, we have two surveys that we're doing right now. One is on organizations and one is on individual artists. And 9,000 individual artists in just the last week that have signed up and given us information on that survey. And what we've discovered is that 97% of them are in dire financial straits because of that, uh, because of the current coronavirus, because the arts are a face-to-face -face business and artists in particular, face-to-face -face selling things. When that's taken away, uh, when people are afraid to buy things for, for their own enjoyment, then um, the artists are going to be uh, affected. We have seen most of them um, report that they don't have any savings or much savings, so they're not prepared for a long a period of time without, uh, without income. Uh, we see that um, uh, a large percentage of them, you know, the majority, uh, have second jobs in the gig economy, and those second jobs are often service industry jobs or, or, or things that are uh, less long-term and stable. And those jobs are the ones that are also being eliminated right now. So it's a double hit on all of these artists. Um, one statistic that came out of the study is that the, the average uh, income of, of an artist, of these artists at least, they were hoping for something like $42,000 this coming year. And now they're predicting uh, the average is 15,000. So that's a massive hit that artists are taking. Um, and interestingly too, back to the earlier question about the value of the arts, um, a great, uh, the majority of them, again, a uh, big percentage of them, expect to use their, their artistry and their work to help with the healing process. They wanna be part of the solution, not just reacting to the problem, but part of the solution. Well, you know, what better citizens could you ask for? Um, so what can we do? Well, we need to get more dollars to these people. And as you know, we are already looking at the uh, federal package four coming up, and um, I, I would like to see us find more ways to help individuals uh, in that. Uh, and, and also remembering that getting, getting resources to organizations, arts organizations, that are specifically part of the resource package is to keep people on the payroll and keeping people on the payroll, artists and, and, and staff, 
is, is, a, is a big goal that we need to work on because no arts organization exists unless it's paying some artists to do something. So I think that um, we have to get creative here and work on more, uh, more avenues of help. Uh, there, there are also loans. There's, there's also other kinds of training programs. There's also looking at big things for the future. A number of people that I'm talking to, um, we're looking at things that were solutions in past crises, like the WPA, for example, um, or CETA, uh, Comprehensive Educational Training Act, that put a lot of artists to work. And, and the WPA in, in, in the Roosevelt years put a lot of people to work. You know, Job Corps was created to put people to work, not as many artists uh, at a later time. All of these things we ought to look at um, as uh, mechanisms for keeping the artistic workforce in our country working which happens in every other country, but not here. Wow. So your, your passion is so clear <laughs> on these issues. And, and I'm curious, and I think a lot of our, our audiences, for, for you, where does that passion come from? Where, where does it uh, you know, stem from? How did it start and develop for you where you've committed your entire life to uh, you know, this role that, that arts plays in our society? Sister Mary Andrina, uh, my eighth grade teacher. Uh, you know, it's funny. I went to a Catholic grammar school, Stoughton, Massachusetts. And in the eight years uh, of going to school, uh, I was, uh, I, every report card I got said, um, dreamer, uh, attention deficit, doesn't pay attention, things like that. Uh, until I got to the eighth grade and this particular teacher found a passion for writing for me. Uh, and, and so I, I, suddenly I had a, you know, sort of a reputation as the, as the class scribe, the class writer. At the same time, my mother, um, for many years and still, she's 96, she's a painter. Um, she was a nurse and then a painter and the painting passion that she had and still has was another piece of the inspiration. Uh, I get to high school, which was a Jesuit high school, uh, and there was no art. There was no, no theater, no drama. You know, I, I had uh, six years in four of Latin, uh, conversational Latin, they called it, but no art. But what I did have was some, was, was some friends who um, we got together, we created a rock and roll band. So um, no training, no classical training, a couple of years of piano lessons, but a passion for that, you know, in the Beatles era. Um, and that, that, that passion plus the writing led me to go to college, uh, become a poetry major, and continue all of that pathway was getting excited about the arts. And then after kicking around for a few years after college, which I think is a good thing for all kids to do, um, and going to Woodstock and seeing the power of, uh, of the Woodstock, uh, Woodstock concert, I ended up writing a freelance article about this work 45 years ago. And when I wrote this article for a newspaper, I was freelancing at the time, I said, this is it, this is what I want to do. It's got the art, but it's got the, um, you know, the, the business and it's got the, gov the government stuff. It's got every aspect of what I want to see happen uh, to make a better place, you know, the promise of Woodstock, make a better place, be part of that. And that's how I got into it. And then that was 45 years ago, um, 10 years at the University of Massachusetts and 35 years now at Americans of the Arts. And it's been on the job learning ever since. And, uh, you know, you, you just listen in this business to the creative people that we have. And, uh, you know, we, we learn 
we learn all the time. I've learned watching you make presentations and change the way I present sometimes. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a constant creative pool that we can bring and harness for our business, for our classrooms, for our whole society. That's exciting. That's, that's amazing. And we all get to benefit from this passion that you have because it affects so many of us in the arts in our country. Uh, so we're almost out of time, but I had a quick question, which was that I had the wonderful honor to be able to visit your home. And I noticed that there were these fireplace bellows everywhere, certainly more bellows than in any home I have ever been in. And I just was wondering if you could share with our audience kind of where that uh, comes from and where that passion lies. Sure. Well, you know, um, the pathway that, that I took to get here had lots of little parts to it. And uh, on that Volkswagen bus trip, uh, where I was um, uh, playing guitar at night and learning about the guitar and, uh, and uh, doing some writing, I also developed an, a passion for wood and wood carving. And so um, with a long stint out in Santa Barbara, uh, I got some education in how to be a wood carver. And for about two years I, I, before I got into this work, I made a living from a little writing, a little music, and a little wood carving. And the thing I used to love to make was a fireplace bellows. I discovered that making fireplace bellows is the hardest way to make a buck in America. Uh, and so I, I slowly moved into this, uh, kept the passion and became a collector instead. So I actually have about a hundred of them. Only two of them here are mine, but I have a hundred of them uh, you know, on the stairwell and in other places. And I'm still passionate for it. And in fact, I've taken up recently um, uh, in in the in the coronavirus virus seclusion, a little wood carving again, hoping to slowly get back into it. Um, and in fact, that's how I keep my creative juices um, going. Uh, because there's a piano here, and there's a, a bunch of guitars. I, I'm mostly a collector and piler up of guitars, as opposed to a good guitar player. But I have a bunch, <laughs> of them. and I take those um, and the and the wood. And it helps inspire me and get, get, get me going that I, I hope leads to some creativity in the work that we're doing, the advocacy work, uh, you know, and so on. Well, thank you so much. And you are definitely an inspiration to me and to <laughs> so many of us in the, in the field. And you are definitely one of the great arts engines in our world. Bob Lynch, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, and thank you for everything you do. It's really meaningful and important to all of us. Thank you. Thank you.